are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. A few years ago, a lady who was attending my church asked me if she could meet with me and talk to me about a young man who was a student at the school where she was a librarian. And so she said he is about to age out of foster care. He'll be 18 years old, but he will have one semester of high school left. And the family who are his foster parents are saying that he won't be welcome to live there after he turns 18. He has decided to join the military after high school, so he'll have somewhere to go. But he has nowhere for this last semester of high school. She talked to me about the family situation in her own home, not being ideal to bring another person into their home. But she said, I won't leave him stranded. If this is the last resort, he can live with us. But I've just got to believe there's a family somewhere that would be willing to take this young man in. And so I remember praying about it, not really knowing what to do. And I felt that I should do this. On Sunday morning, I stood up and I said, I'm aware of a young man who is 18 years old. He'll be 18 in just a few days. He is aging out of the foster care program, but he lacks a semester of high school. And he really needs a family that would let him live with them for one more semester before he heads off to be in the military. And maybe there's somebody here this morning who would take him into their home. I I didn't know it at the time, but as I was making that announcement, There was a lady sitting in our church named Wendy. And she looks up at her husband, whose name was Jason. And she says, Jason, I believe that's our son. Jason didn't know what to say. But as soon as the service was over, they're standing right in front of me. How can we make contact with this young man that needs a home? When, When I saw it was them, I was excited I I felt like that could really work. That was on Sunday morning. On Monday afternoon, they were moving that young man into their house, and he became part of their family. They already had two younger sons, and he became like an older brother. And they loved him and cared for him, and he had what people call in foster care a forever family. And so even now, I see pictures of them. Now he's done with military and living back there. I see pictures of them all together. And he's very, very much a part of their lives and will always be a part of their family. It's really a great story. So here's the question, okay? So when you hear about this family taking in this young man, does it sound like somebody who is religious is doing what religious people ought to do? So there's a reason I use the word religious. So let's talk about religion a minute. If, if you just look it up in the dictionary, it would say religion is a belief and worship of a supreme being or supernatural being. And so if you ask me, Rick, are, are you religious? I would say, yeah, I'm religious because I believe in... And I worship a supernatural being. I believe in and I worship God. So I believe I'm religious. And one aspect of my being religious is my worship of Him. 
And, and so, so what if you came to church on Sunday morning and we did our normal ritual, our normal liturgy, our normal ceremony of worship, and we did all that we've done up to this point. There's scripture reading and there's singing and there's giving and all that kind of stuff that happens. And what if we got to this point and the preacher gets up and he looks you in the eye and here's what he says to you. Let me tell you something. Your religion and your worship is worthless unless it affects the way that you talk with each other and treat one another and unless it drives you out to care for people and have compassion on people who are in need and distress and unless it has an effect on you in the sense that you resist the gravity of sin and don't give in to the temptations. If those things aren't happening in your life, your religion and what you're doing here today is of no value. Those are really strong words, aren't they? So how do you how do you react to that? I mean, I'm just going to be transparent and say if I'm sitting there and a preacher stands up and says all of that, I'm going to say, hey, be careful, buddy, the way you use the word worthless, okay? After I got over my defensiveness, I might kind of say, okay, let me just look at my own life. How am I doing in the way I talk to people and treat people? Do I move with compassion toward people who have needs? And do I respond with compassion to people who are in need? And how am I doing in keeping myself resisting the gravity of sin, the pull of sin, and remaining unstained in this world? And the only reason I bring all of that up to you today is because what I said to you a moment ago really comes directly out of Scripture as strong as I stated it to you. So I want you to grab a Bible, okay? And I want you to open it to the book of James. The book of James, I'm going to start in chapter 1 with verse 26, okay? The book of James, chapter 1, verse 26. Now James is the brother of Jesus. And, and what James does in his writing is he is very pointed and he is very straightforward and he is very much right to the heart of the issue. And so he says things like this. Hey, don't just listen to the word of God. Actually do what it says. I mean, that's, that's just typical of James right there. Don't just listen to the word of God, but do what it says. So he says things like this. Submit to God. Resist the devil. Don't submit to the devil. Resist the devil. Don't resist God. Submit to God. Why is this so hard? Just do it. That's kind of the tone that James has all through his writing. And so let me read to you verses 26 and 27. You ready? Here we go. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves. And their religion is worthless. You think you're religious, but you kind of say whatever you want to say to people and you're not careful with your words. Your religion, James says, is worthless. It should affect the way you treat people. Verse 27, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. To look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So, James, if that kind of religion is worthless, then what is good and faultless religion? 
And he says, I'll tell you what it is. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. Look after orphans and widows in their distress and keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So this is God's word for us today. Amen? I've been, I've been spending some time with a couple of agencies in the area who take seriously this idea of looking after orphans and widows in their distress. And so I've been gaining some information from them, and I want to share some of it with you, okay? So um, some of these numbers will appear on your screen, especially if you're wanting to write down a few notes or something. They'll be there so you can see them more clearly. But I'll just talk about them, and you can see the screen as well. So here's what they tell us. At the close of 2013, the numbers for 2014 will be in shortly. But at the close of 2013, here's how many children in the United States of America did not have permanent families. There were 400,000 children in the United States of America without a permanent family. 400,000 children in foster care in the United States alone. So when you think about that, it just seems like that number is so big, I don't know how in the world we would even begin to to deal with that. 400,000 children. Here's, Here's an interesting note. Of those 400,000 children, one-fourth of them, over 100,000 of them are what you would call adoptable. Meaning there is no hope that they will ever go back and live with their biological mother or father. All parental rights have been severed and now they are what you would call adoptable. They will never go back home. 100,000 children in the U.S. So when you try to think about it globally, it's just more than your mind can grasp. It's just, it's so big, it's hard to even begin to get your head around. So you may say, okay, that's in the United States. What, what, what about our state, the state of Oklahoma? What, what does that look like? In the state of Oklahoma, we have over 9,500 children who are in foster care. But here's what's interesting. We only have just over 5,200 homes that are approved for foster care. So you understand the difference between 5,200 and 9,500 is very wide. So there's a real shortage of foster care homes. And and so I thought, how how can I talk to you a little more at home? So right here in our county, Oklahoma County, and I know some of you live in Canadian and other counties, but in Oklahoma County right here, we have... Over 1,700 children in foster care, but only 930 approved foster homes. And so you're beginning to get the picture, I think, of how great this need is that we care for these children. Another interesting stat, and I'll stop with the stats, okay? Last year, 27,000 children aged out of foster care. So what does that mean, Rick? The story I told you a minute ago about the young man who turned 18, and when he was 18, that was kind of it? You're on your own? That's what that means. 27,000 were never adopted, never found a home. 27,000 children in the U.S. last year just aged out. I'm 18, and now there's really not anything for me. I cannot imagine saying to my daughter Brittany when she turned 18 or to my daughter Morgan when she turned 18, okay, kind of done my part, girls. You're pretty much on your own for now. Don't come back often, okay? I can't imagine saying you get no more support from us, no more care from us, no more encouragement. We've kind of raised you, done our part. Now you just go on. 
We knew and we accepted this, that this was part of the deal, that we would have to invest in our girls many years after they were 18. They would need all of our support and all of our encouragement and our money and our kindness and our love. And we were going to be a family forever. But last year, 27,000 children aged out of foster care without any of that stuff in their lives. But here's the deal. When you open the Bible... Here's what you find. One example, many examples. One example is Psalm 68, where it says, God is the father to the fatherless. He is the father to the fatherless. And then it also includes this idea of widows by saying that he is the defender of the widow. And so God's word could not be any more clear than what I read you this morning, that this is something... That is an issue in the heart of God. So let's look at the scripture together, okay? James is talking about the Word of God in the previous two paragraphs that has been planted in you. And he talks about how it is life-transforming, it is dynamic, it is powerful. The Word of God will change you. But then he gets into this idea that you have to humbly accept the Word of God in you. It has been planted in you. It will grow. It will produce life. It will change you. It will transform you. But you must humbly accept the Word of God and God's will for your life. And then he gives an example. And the example is back up to verse 19 where he has been talking about your speech. And here's what he says. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. If we would just apply that to our lives every day, think about how much less stress we would have in our relationships. I mean, think about it. If we would be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. I mean, quit nudging your spouse, okay? I'm talking to you too. This is for everybody in the room, all right? Repeat the phrases after me. Quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And then... He moves us into verse 26 where he says, Those of you who believe that you're religious, but you cannot keep a tight rein on your tongue, your religion is worthless. And what he's saying is that you can come in here and you can worship on Sunday morning and you can raise your hands and you can praise, but if it does not affect the way that you talk to people when you leave this room, then what value does that have? So I want to talk to you about this one word for a minute, okay? And, and, and the word that he uses is religion. So let's chat about it. You got up this morning like you do many Sunday mornings. And you made the choice that we are indeed going to church. And you came to church kind of with this idea of what was going to happen once you got here. Because it happens very similar the same way every Sunday. First service here is very different than second service, but every Sunday it's kind of the same in both, okay? And so you know that there's going to be some music that we're going to sing together. You know somebody's going to read some scripture. You know there's going to be a sermon. There's going to be offering we're going to give. There's certain things that we do in our ritual or in our liturgy or in the ceremony of worship, okay? So when James uses the word religion, he's actually talking about this act of worship that we're involved in. These things that we do when we come together to worship. And he is saying that you can come together and you can do all of these things, but you can lack holiness in your heart. 
And nobody else in the room is any better for it. Nobody knows. But God knows your heart. And He says simply this. It may be that the best worship you will ever give God is to serve people who are in need and to keep your life unpolluted by the sin of this world. That may very well be the best worship you will ever do in your life. And if your religion does not send you out from this place to express compassion to people who are hurting, then maybe your religion is worthless. That's what James is trying to say. So, let's talk about what we do with all of this, okay? Some of you this morning are saying, Wow, I heard the part about, you know, tearing people down with your speech. And so this is an issue. You're preaching. The Holy Spirit is speaking to me. And Rick, I've got an issue. It may be the way I talk to my family or my spouse or my kids or my father or my mother or my friends at school or whatever. But I have an issue with my tongue. I do not control my speech very well. And the Word of God, I'm humbly accepting now. And I realize I've got to make some changes and let the Word of God change me. Some of you may be saying... Man, I'm, I'm dealing with temptation. I mean, I am tempted. I, I am living under temptation really heavy these days. And I'm hearing the Word of God say, don't, don't let yourself be tempted to the point that you become tainted and become like your culture. And that's something I'm dealing with. And I've got to humbly this morning accept the Word of God and allow it to transform me because I'm in a tough place. And some of you may be saying, wow, I'm hearing this morning. And I do not do much for people who are in distress and people who are in need. I might, I might love with my lips only in service, but I don't do anything in action. I'm not helping people who are hurting. And that's what God is talking to me about. So here's what I want to do for the next few minutes. I want to talk to you about this issue of children in our society and what can we do for them. So there are five things that you could potentially do for children who are without permanent families. Okay, five things. Number one, many families in our church are doing this. I've had conversations over the last several weeks with several of these families. Okay, you could be a foster family, a foster parent. So that's a possibility. In other words, it's a matter of saying you can bring children who don't have permanent families into our home and we will be foster families. We will care for them. We will love them. We will take care of them for you. That's one thing that you could do. There's an organization in Oklahoma and they call themselves 111. And here's the idea that there are 6,100 churches in the state of Oklahoma. 6,100 churches in the state of Oklahoma. And if every church would come up with one family who would join us in this purpose of offering homes to children, we could solve the problem. And so they call themselves one, 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 one church, one family, one purpose. That's what it's all about. So what if it were the responsibility of the church to take care of these children? That's their idea. Second thing that can happen is adoption. I know of a family right now, the Robinsons, who are adopting 
three children from Ukraine and other families in the process of adopting from Russia. I know people who have adopted in our church from the U.S. Lots of adoption related to families who are part of our church. That's the second thing that you can do. So, so just, just, just kind of look me in the eye a minute. That's not for everybody. I mean, the agents who do this will tell you it's not for everybody. There's a vetting process that you go through, and sometimes they say, we don't think this is for you. If your home is highly dysfunctional, bringing another person into your home is not going to resolve your dysfunction. If you already live in life to the limit and your schedule is completely full, bringing another child into your home is not going to reduce your level of stress. But it is for some people. And so you say, if, if that is not for me, then, then what, what ways could I bless these children? And so I've asked Chris to come and join me this morning. Chris and Gary Pickock are some people who have been a part of our church for many years. And Chris, you and Gary have had foster children in your home. Presently, you don't have foster children in your home, but you are serving children in another way through another role. Can you just tell us a little bit about how you're doing that? Um, about three years ago, I, after having foster children in our home, I was looking for another way that I could be a part of foster children in making a difference. And I learned about a program called CASA, which is a court-appointed special advocate. Um, it is a position that is a volunteer, and you do receive training. But you go into... Um, you're assigned to a child by the court, and you become a part of their life by getting to know them well, getting to know their teachers, their counselors, possibly even their doctors. And it is your job just to make sure that they're receiving all of the care that they need. And then you also report to the judge in just keeping him abreast of everything that's going on in their life. And so um, as I became, uh, well, I was assigned a sibling group of three children, They'd been in uh, foster care already for one year, and they were in three separate placements. And so one of the things that I really enjoyed that I did as a CASA is I began to do sibling visits with these children. They had only seen each other one time during that year. And so on a monthly basis, I would get all three children together, and we would go to the park or go to um, Chuck E. Cheese or bowling, whatever, just to give them an opportunity to see each other. And um, so I was their CASA for a year, and then I, I learned that one of the children was going to lose their placement soon, their foster care placement, and so I began searching, trying to find a place for him, and we were unsuccessful in doing that. So when he um, lost his placement, he went into a shelter, and um, then I learned the next day that the shelter said they were not going to keep him, and so he was going to go to a different shelter. And I was at work and with my husband, and uh, I was really struggling just trying to keep my emotions in check. And I guess he could tell that for sure. And he just looked over at me, and he said, just bring him home. And so the very same day that I contacted the DHS worker, and I said, we want, to, we want Mark to come and live with us. Um, he, she said, well, his sister's losing her placement today, too. So I called Gary and said, how about two? And so um, I stepped down as the CASA, and we became foster parents again. And um, they were with us for several months until they went to a home for adoption. 
And unfortunately, even though we had done many, sibling, I mean, done, done many overnight visits and they'd spent a lot of time with that family over several months, after about six weeks, they decided just to keep one of the children and the other child went back into uh, foster care. So during the process of when I was a foster parent for these children, we, re- we were, uh, received a new CASA for them. So instead of becoming their CASA again, I became a mentor. And that enabled me to have them in my home. And so two of the children that were still in DHS um, care, we would have them for Christmas or birthdays, um, just overnights or just visits. Um, and as a CASA, you're not really allowed to have them in your home. And so it just worked out best being a mentor. Um, One of the children is in a group home. And uh, I went to pick him up recently, and the staff told me that I I hadn't met her. And I I introduced myself, and she said, oh, I know who you are. You are the one that Mark says prays with him. And so there's many things you can do as a mentor. And I was thinking about the young people in our church. You know, I bet you at your school, you often find children that come in maybe at the middle of the year because... Um, their, their foster care placement changes, you know, just to be their friend at lunch, just look for the opportunity to make a difference in their lives. It's one thing you can do as even a teenager. Um, you can be a mentor and just pick up a child after school, take them to play basketball, help them with their homework and take them to dinner. Um, there's a lot of different ways that a mentor can really make a big difference. Tutoring is a huge thing that most of these children need help with. And you can make a big difference by being a tutor. I think the point that's important to realize here is that Chris Pickock is not a social worker. She doesn't work for an adoption agency or foster care agency. She's a she's the wife of a has a husband. She has children. She has you know a job. Uh, She attends a church on Sunday. She she she's you, and and yet she has become involved in children's life to this incredible degree. And, and, and it may be that God is speaking to some of you this morning saying, you know, I, I think I can see how that Chris has gotten into this and, and maybe God would want me to be involved in the lives of some children as well. Chris, I, I love your heart and, um, and I'm so grateful for what you have done. And um, I, I love the burden that you have and that you carry for children who are in need. Thank you so much for sharing with us this morning. So I think you're hearing me, but you could be an adoptive parent, a foster parent. You could be a CASA, court-appointed advocate. It's really another set of eyes looking over the welfare for this child. You're just another set of eyes. That's what it boils down to. Or a mentor, someone who picks up a child once a week and says, come on, I'll take you. We'll go get something to eat. We'll go somewhere and play. Uh, I'll help you with homework, and then I'll take you back to your foster care home. The fifth thing would be someone who is involved in what we call respite care. And that's a person who just gives foster parents a break. I know your life is really full. You don't get a lot of time on your own. But we'll go through the training that we need to go through. And maybe on Thursday night, you can bring your kids to our house. And uh, you guys can go out and have a date and have a little time on your own. Because we understand that's important for you as well. And so that's something that we could do for families within our church. I mean... We have people here who are just kind of overextended because they felt led to foster children. And a break would be a really good thing for them. And so respite care is the third thing that you can do. I I can't facilitate that for you. 
we're, we're a church, not an adoption agency or a foster care agency. But we've invited two agencies to be with us this morning, and they are in the foyer of our church as you leave. And so I would love it for you to at least stop by and say thanks for coming. And we brought people who are our own. Jim Priest is with Sunbeam Family Services, and Jessica Thompson Tompkins rather is with St. Francis. And they're both back there, and they would love to answer any questions you have, any questions you have, and talk to you more about your possibly becoming involved, or just answer any question that you might have. They would love to talk to you. They're there to do that with you this morning. So here's what I thought before we left this morning. I would love, love, love for you just to kind of see a picture of what this looks like in real life, okay? And so Kaylee and Taylor Brown are a part of our church family here. And and they're going to come up and just kind of share a little bit about their experiences uh, over these last several years in foster care. So kind of young, and at a young age, they begin to believe that maybe God was inviting them to become involved in foster care. Could you tell us what happened that you begin to feel that God was maybe saying, this is what I want you to do? Sure. Um, from a young age, I knew that adoption was something that I would love to be involved in when I had my own family one day. And I wrote papers on that in high school and in college, really thought that it would be something from overseas and that it would be a foreign adoption situation in some way or working at an orphanage one day or something. Um, but the Lord definitely had different plans. And I think that when we got married and it was something that he was aware of before and knew that that was something on my heart and the Lord definitely laid that calling on his heart as well. Um, so we had a biological child and when he was about two months old, we felt the Lord's calling even heavier on our hearts to begin the journey and to learn more about that in Oklahoma and foster care, what that looked like and what that would look like for our family. So We began researching and praying and sometimes arguing with God about this calling. Is this really what you want us to do? And are you sure that we are equipped for this? We've only been married three years. We have an infant child. And really just thinking about the effects that that could have on our marriage and on our biological child, you know, kids in and out of your home. And what does that look like when you pour your heart into them and you love them and then they leave? And how do you deal with that? And just lots of overwhelming emotions. So I think through the Lord's work in our heart, he um, opened our hearts to be able to do that and to realize that it wasn't us that were going to do that, but that it was him that he could use that through us to do his work. So we found out about a place called Whitefields Boys Home in Piedmont, and they had just started a pilot program for foster families and were asking families to come and move onto their campus to foster boys between the ages of 8 through 18. So we did. When Griffin was six months, we moved to Whitefields, and with the expectation of having one to two boys in our home at a time, um, and there we actually fostered five different children through that campus. Then, then you ended up with one of those children. His name is Devo, and we know mm-hmm. Devo here at Bethany First Church. Uh, Taylor, can you talk to me a little bit about the process of making a decision to adopt Devo? So he moved from being a foster child to being your actual child and taking your name and adoption. What, what happened that facilitated that taking place? Well, Diva wanted to be adopted from pretty much day one, So, which other teenagers we had, they didn't want that necessarily. So every case is different. Mm-hmm. But uh, 
just, I mean, he asked us like second or third day. So when are you going to adopt me? And we're just, yeah. well, <laughs> let's give it some time, you know? And so, um, so we, he's been adopted for about a year and a half now. And, uh, we took a few months getting to know him and pretty quick. We realized that this was probably going to be something that led to that. And, uh, and it takes time to go through the process of adoption, even though with his situation, there was no other family keeping us from adopting him, but it still takes time. Uh, but it's been great, uh, having him part of our family and our families accepted him and he's just like one of the other grandkids. So, so you've had a big fall because Devo has made a big transition in his life. He is. He, he graduated high school this back in May, which is a big, uh, win for most foster kids to even get through that point. Uh, and now he's a freshman at SNU. So yeah, so he's at SNU. You you guys are in a situation now where that you have another child in your home, uh, fostering a little boy. How old is he? He is 19 months. He just turned 19 months. And now you're asking questions about the possibility of adopting him, and that may happen. We are. He um, is a little bit of a different situation where he has three older brothers that are also in care as well. He actually has a brother that's turning 18 in November and will age out of care. And it's kind of the situation where he doesn't have anywhere to go. Um, but his mom was able to keep him until he was 16 months old. And then when we decided we closed our home for a few months, thinking that we were done fostering for now and the Lord had different plans. And so we went through the process to reopen and um, were able to get him in June. So we got him when he was about 16 months. It's still unknown as far as if we will get to adopt him. We would love to get to have him in our family forever. Um, but for the time being, I think just learning those adjustments and those blessings daily and getting to love on him and show him God's love through our family. I think I can speak for people here and say that we, we're proud of you. We're thankful for Thank you. you. And we bless you. Thank you so much for sharing with us. So I've got about a minute and, and I'm done. Here's what I want to say to you, okay? I'm not, I'm not saying to you this morning that you should adopt a child. Hear me really clearly. I'm not saying that you should foster a child. I'm not even saying that you should become a mentor or a CASA or you should be involved in respite care. That's not my place to say. You, you and God have to decide what, what it is that God is asking you to do. But here's what I know, okay? I open the Bible and the Word of God tells me that my religion and my worship and my relationship with God should have an effect on the way that I treat people and talk to people. It should have an effect on my saying no to temptation to sin when that comes my way. And it should have an effect on me loving and caring for people who are in need and distress. Now that's what I know. And, and then the Lord has to lead me in what is best for me and has to lead you and how he wants to use you to do that. And so that's what I want you to make a matter of prayer. We're going to sing before we go. So why don't you stand with me? And then after we sing, I want to come back up and I just want to say a prayer for us. And, and I really wish that you would stop by and at least thank the people for coming today and shake hands with them and, and maybe have a conversation if you have any questions that you would have. All the poor 
and all the lost and lonely. All the thieves will come confess and know that you are holy. And know that you are holy. Sing, we will sing. And all sing out hallelujah and we will sing out hallelujah and all sing out hallelujah and we cry out hallelujah all the hearts all the hearts you are this morning for people who are among us who feel a desire, an encouragement, a calling to do something in foster care. I pray for people who are feeling a calling towards something in becoming a mentor or CASA or doing respite care. I pray for those who are feeling called, Lord, to do things other than what we've talked about this morning and responding to people who are in need or in distress. I pray, Lord, for people who really have this sense of conviction about the way they speak to people or people who are living with great temptation and really need 
power to overcome. Give us grace, Lord. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.